life isn't about moving forward. It's about moving toward deeper intimacy with God himself. Do we have a compass for our souls that slows us down enough to look at a way of life that is turning us always toward intimacy with Christ? That will look upside down, kingdom. That will not look so much like hustle. That will look like hush and holiness and retreating into solitude and times of just deep contemplation over his word and time of prayer and then moving out into the world in a posture of cruciformity a posture of giving thanks unceasingly because that is to pray without ceasing that's going to look very different than the world but you're not moving forward you are moving toward your ultimate promised land which is the presence of christ himself That was Ann Voskamp, and this is the Things Above Podcast. My guest today on the Things Above Podcast is Ann Voskamp. She is the wife of one good farmer, mom of seven exuberant children, and the author of four New York Times bestsellers, named by Christianity Today as one of the 50 women most shaping culture and the church today. Her latest book is Waymaker. Finding the Life You've Always Dreamed Of. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome, Ann Voskamp. Oh, it's a grace and a joy to get to be with you and your community today, Jim. Thank you. So glad we could make this work. Mm-hmm. We were going to try a week ago, but I think a, a storm blew through or something. Yes, the the Lord had, had other ideas. A, a storm blew through. It flattened the weed. It flattened the garden, and it made everyone come inside the house. And I had a very full, loud house, Jim, so it's quiet today, so I'm grateful. See, well, it's all timing. We're good. All We're all... <laughs> so the first question I ask when I have an author on the, on this podcast is the same question every time, which is, why did you write this book? Wow, Jim. I think I think the answer to that is my answer for writing, period, full stop, is I write for me. I write to I write to slow down enough to see the hand of God. I often think of writing as a bit of a handicap, actually. Lots of people can live their lives and see how the Lord is moving in their life. And I have to live my life and then stop and relive it in words on a screen or on a page to see how God was moving. Um, so I, I, writing Waymaker really um, is by far the most vulnerable um, of my writing. And it really was about, it ultimately is about how the two metaphors of marriage and adoption really are about, that we, we're living out in our own lives, whether we're married, whether we've adopted, whether we're a parent, all of these um, these relationships we have in our life are really metaphors for our relationship, the ultimate relationship with um, with God Himself. How um, how do we ha- are how are we attached to Him? How do we live in community with Him? How do we um, how do we live in covenant oneness with Him? So really, that's what I was I was unpacking that because I think ultimately relationship is reality. And deepest fulfillment is, we know this from psychology, deepest fulfillment is found in attachment. What does that look like theologically? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I totally agree. It is an incredibly personal book, very vulnerable. You start out right in the beginning with the the story of your marriage and or getting married and your honeymoon. And right away, whoa, we're getting real here. This is getting real. I like it. And where are we going? You know, and it was it was such a 
And then you, you pull us along with the story with, as you said, that, that metaphor. Um, but you know, I've heard you talk about, and you mentioned this, this idea in the book, the idea of GPS and, and EPS, you know, uh, GPS global positioning system. We all use it now. Uh, but talk a little bit about the GPS and the EPS. Yeah. We all have an expectational positioning system, an internal EPS, an expectation of where we thought we would be um, in terms of maybe geographically, but even ultimately where we thought we would be in the timeline of our lives, where we th- what we thought we would achieve by when, who we would be close to, what the what the topography and landscape of our lives would look like by a certain time. So we, we are constantly working with an EPS, this expectational system that I think oftentimes <laughs> needs to be rerouted, Jim, where mm. we are like, oh, I'm comparing myself to where someone else is at, which can feed all kinds of disappointment and discontentment and frustration about our, not just, um, our lives, but also ultimately deeply impacts our relationship with God. We come to him with expectations. I thought you would, I expected that you would have my life look like this by this point in time. And our EPS, that expectational positioning system is rerouted when we have an expectation that God will meet us with but I also write about my maker, Chesed, the Chesed loving kindness of God. And that, uh, so we can expect his Chesed loving kindness. It's just not going to come to us the way we expected it. So can we reorient and um, turn our eyes, fix them upon the Lord to realize, oh, there are gifts and graces that are coming to my life in ways that I did not expect do we have a way of life, practices of life that awake us to see God in unexpected ways? Mm. Yeah, so true. You know, I, I think a lot about when you when you think about how we we think about what is a good life and we we think, well, mm. a good life would be I'd have a great marriage and I'd have a great job and I'd have a lot of money and I'd have kids that are healthy and I'd have this. And we sort of think about all these things. And as you said, we tend to look around at others and think, well, this, this is where I ought to be, the positioning, you know, if I'm not this, if I'm not here, that. And I think that what you, what you do so well is you, you talk about how that does block that, that hesed, that Hebrew word for steadfast love. It, it's, it, it takes God out of the equation in a way, which is similar to um, something that I, I was struck by. And I love Latin. So you, <laughs> you, you do Latin work here uh, with the, the phrase uh, homo incurvatus in se. It's fun. Yeah. Just fun to say that, uh, which translates sort of like a person who's bent over in himself or bent yes. curved in on himself. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean that that runs throughout the book. I, I even I even uh, I even checked, and I think you use you you quote that like maybe a dozen times. So I thought that must be something that that you felt strongly about. Talk about that that sense of how we curve in on ourselves. Yeah, it's such a profound. I mean, we've got we've got all the the saints have gone before us, Augustine, Luther, Barth, all talk about this as man being in cortis in say that we are, we are made to curve inward on ourselves, to protect ourselves, to um, take care of ourselves, to write our, think we can write our own stories. And, um, 
ultimately be very self-focused. We exactly are bent in on ourselves, but in Christ, Christ is unfolding us to live a cruciform life, a life that is ultimately formed and shaped like a cross, the exact opposite of incortus in say that we would be stretched out both towards God and towards humanity, formed and shaped like a cross, living vulnerable, living given, living surrendered, the opposite of incortus in say, which is not invulnerable, which is protecting and guarding and grasping to to take care of ourselves, to protect ourselves. Um, but ultimately, that subtitle of a waymaker is finding the way to the life you always dreamed of. Ultimately, we think we want a promised land. We want to arrive at a place that looks like X, Y, Z. That EPS system is constantly trying to direct us towards that. But at base, at rock bottom, what we are made for, where we want to arrive at, is not a place, but a deeper, more intimate relationship with a person. Ultimately, what we are made for is connection, for communion. Ultimately, we are made to, to live in the presence of the one who is love, who calls us his beloved. So what does that look like? The only way to, to move towards deeper intimacy is live in the posture of cruciformity. To live in a posture that is with our arms stretched out leaves us in a position of vulnerability. But it is only through cruciformity, which is vulnerability, can lead us to intimacy, which is our ultimate promised land. So Waymaker, we think all the time, oh, I've got all these obstacles in my life. I need the obstacles to be removed so that there is a way through to this promised land where I want to arrive. Can you have a paradigm shift that instead of looking for a way through, we have one who says he is the way himself, who comes to us walks alongside of us so that we have a cadence and a rhythm of life, practices of life that keep us in close communion with him so that we begin to unfold from an incortus inse and this constant turning inward. So we move to a posture of cruciformity and stretching outward, which leads us to intimacy and ultimately the connection and communion that we were made for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I, you just, you just did the whole book there, Anne, by the way. I mean, you just covered, <laughs> you, you covered all of my favorite great topics that I want to talk about. So that's great. We, we as human beings, can we, if we, once we are in Christ, do I have a life that is shaped cruciform or is my life shaped in Cortis Insight where I'm constantly pulling inward, bending inward, self-focused, taking care of self, ultimately the only way to go ahead and move toward cruciformity is you have a way of life, a practice of life that keeps you in the way himself so that he can keep sanctifying you and moving you towards cruciformity in all things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think the reason I, I was struck by that, I mean, you obviously quote, it's, it's Luther and Bart and Lewis and all. I mean, this is not new and, no. and Voskamp didn't make it up. No, it's, it's Latin. Not but, but I, I was so I was visiting la, just last week actually with a friend of mine. He's a pastor, and he was was sort of we were just doing some good soul sharing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started talking about your book, mm. and I talked about the Homo incubatus and say, mm-hmm. 
and it's kind of explaining it. This guy's a Lewis guy. So he was really clicking. Mm -hmm. And, and he said, so in, in a sense, how would you say it? And I said, it seems to me, it's like when we say, I'm going to take this into my own hands, yes. I'll take matters into my own hands, yes, yes, which yes. kind of, it sort of is that consistent sin throughout scripture from yes. the very beginnings. Oh, wait, this was this from, from Eve to Abraham, like, yes. oh, we, there's no yes. child yet. Let me just take this into my own hands. Oh, there's no, you know, Moses, although I'll just kill somebody, you know, and, and, and you just see these throughout scripture. We're always thinking, well, then I'll do it this way. I'll do it this way. It's taking our own story into our own hands. I know how to write the story of my life better than the word himself knows how to write the story of my life. And I, when we look at the last words of Jesus on the cross, what does he say? Into your hands, mm -hmm. I commit my spirit. Do we have that ultimately, if in cortis inse is, if you want to put it in one phrase, is taking things into our own hands. We look at Christ on the cross. What does living a cruciform like life look like? Can we be constantly praying, living into this posture of, into your hands, Lord, I commit X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. That is the life, the fullest life, the richest life, the life. It's paradoxically, when we commit everything into his hands, we live open-handed, what we receive is the f fullness of Christ himself, our mm. promised land, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. By the way, we just, we just, uh, you, you betrayed your Canadian heritage when you mm. said X, X, Y, Z. <laughs> oh, Z. All Z. the Americans are going, I'm so Z. Sorry, Z. Z. <laughs> what is Z? Is that a thing? Oh, um. <laughs> I thought I thought I accidentally said A, but I guess it was the, the You didn't Z say A, no, there, Jim. No. or a boot or anything like that. You, you haven't said it yet. You might, you might slip in. Well, you'll be happy to know that, that uh, this friend I was talking with, he, he, um, he said, and by the way, my wife has Waymaker sitting on her bedstand. I've seen it for months. Oh. Should I read it? And I said, you must go home and read it. So there you, there go. you go. Well, there you go. No. The Lord's timing on certain books. He he. You open the book when you're meant to open the book. So it it sits on shelves. I'm sitting here in my my um, workroom at home with all these books behind me, and we open them at the right time, Jim. It's all good. I agree, and it was that that old saying that when you're ready, the teacher will find you. But I say when you're ready, the book finds you. Like the book when you're finds you. in, totally. that, in that place when we're oh. when ready for that. Mm -hmm. So here here's a great uh, I, I under underlined and highlighted and scribbled around. On page 113, you write, all of life turns on the turn. It's so true. Yes. Okay, but our all listeners are going, life. why is that cool? I don't know yet. So <laughs> <laughs> explain what that means, all of life all turns of, on the turn. All of life turns on the turn. Everything is about everything. I mean, we know it in real estate. Everything is location, location, location. But it's true in terms of our soul. Where is our soul located? Where is our soul turning? All of life turns on the turn when we go... It's happening moment by moment all throughout the day. You have incoming happening. You have challenges happening. There are obstacles. There are things in your way all day long. There's there's so much noise. And where will you turn? What is your trajectory? Where do you turn for comfort? Where do you turn for fulfillment? Where do you turn for meaningfulness? Where do you turn ultimately determines how your life will turn out. All of life turns on the turn. Do you have, and, and my default, my, I mean, why do we write books? We write books to work with our own defaults. I wrote 1000 Gifts to work with my ingratitude. I wrote Waymaker to, to really work out where do I turn 
in the midst of moment by moment everyday life, Jim. And I want, I want to, um, I want to have practices of life, ways of life, a rule of life that is shaping me, that is forming me, so that my turn is towards the heart of Christ, towards the face of Christ, towards the way Himself. And I, I think lots of times. In our Christian lives, we pray, Lord, give me a way through. Um, And the Lord comes to us as the way and is asking us, do you have practices? Do you have daily rhythms? Do you have a cadence of life that keeps you in company with the way himself? You don't need a way through as much as you need a way of life that keeps you in the one who is the way himself. Mm. Mm. That's so good. I'm going to go off script a second. So, because yeah. everything you said is just classic Christian spiritual formation. Yeah. Yeah. Where, when did you first connect with um, Christian spiritual formation? What, like, in what was it a book? Was it a person? Was it? Was it a person? Um, I think reading a lot of Scott McKnight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Which and, he's a New Testament guy, but he's always yeah. doing formation. I always yes. tell him that. And, and he's ta- and he's the first person to introduce me to the word cruciform and it resonated with me so deeply, um, which I write about a lot in, um, in the broken way. Right. And I just think we, we have a sense that, ah, oh, I need to, I need, or spiritual formation resonates regardless of whether you're in the Christian faith or not what I want to be spiritually formed. But do we realize that like, Everything in the world is forming us. Right, <laughs> it time. is impossible to be a human being on planet Earth, living and breathing without being formed by our screens, what we're reading, our practices, our habits that we don't even realize our habits. Everything is forming and shaping us. So, do we? What do we need to do to be far more intentional, so that what is forming us is forming its Christian formation? It is forming us more like Christ himself. Like C.S. Lewis says, we are to be like little Christs. Mm-hmm. So if all of Christ's life was living this surrendered, cruciform life, okay, Lord, show me through your word, show me through daily practices, be it prayer, be it scripture reading, be it journaling, actually taking the verses that I'm reading during the day and <laughs> moving them from cerebral understanding to down into my marrow and my heart and my bones mm-hmm. so that I can walk it out. I just, I think... I think life is too precious, too brief, too priceless for us not to have intentionality Mm. around our formation. What does it look like to have a way of life that keeps us in the way himself? Mm. Absolutely. So earlier, and you mentioned to Scott McKnight and Mm. cruciformity. So imagine, Anne, that there's there was that one time in on the office when Michael Scott has the accountant say, "Explain this to me as if I were a fifth grader." Mm, gotcha. I think it's funny. <laughs> so, it, it, cruciformity is a big word. Uh, you and I maybe we we track in that, but for someone who's new to the word, mm-hmm. how do you understand it? Cruciformity really is about how are my thoughts, my mind, my decisions, my day to day life. How does how does it begin to take the form and shape of the cross itself? And the cross actually is a symbol for Christ himself. When Christ goes to the cross, he's actually, that symbol of him on the cross is actually an embodiment of Christ's entire life of givenness. 
For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. Cruciformity really is about how to live a life of, there's actually several different words you can use to describe it, a life of givenness, a life of surrender, a life of sacrifice, a life that is outstretched, not turned inward, but the exact opposite, stretched outward towards the two things that will last for all of eternity, God himself and the souls of other people. That's a life worth living. I want the form and shape of my life to be about the things that will be eternal, that will outlast time. Um, So what does that look like to have a cruciform life? Um, I, for me, that has been very much about a life that is Eucharistic, a life that Mm. comes back to um, the Lord's Supper. Jesus takes everything that the Lord gives. That's that vertical beam of the cross to take everything that the Lord gives, see it as grace, (laughs) see it as something I can give thanks to God for. That's my thanksgiving rising up that horizontal beam of the cross. So that, um, Giving thanks is that horizontal beam of the cross. And then Eucharistically, what does Jesus do after he's given thanks for the bread? He takes the bread and he breaks it, reaches out and gives it out into the world. How then do I then live out the vertical beams of the cross? How do I live given out into the world? How do I live in a vulnerable space that gives my life away, reaching out to God and people? So really, actually, I'm a broken way. Um, in that book, I talk about writing on my wrist every day, a cross right on my wrist that um, that I want to live a cruciform life to remind me. And um, I think it was 2018, we as a family went to um, Israel. When I went to Jerusalem, I went to a, a family that have been um, putting tattoos on pilgrims for, um, I believe it's since the 1300s, 26 generations. Mm. And so I now have a teeny tiny little cross from the Holy Land on my wrist to remind me like nothing matters more. The most meaningful life, the life we really want, the abundant life truly is the most paradoxical upside down way of living. It is a cruciform life. It is a given and surrendered sacrifice life. And like I write in, in Waymaker, um, when we were in Israel, um, I've been at least, I think four times Israel. On one of those occasions, I was at um, Shiloh, um, which is the place where the Ark of the Tabernacle was for over 360 years. So the Israelites came um, into the presence of God with their sacrifices, and that word sacrifice in Hebrew is korban. They come with their korban to sacrifice it to the Lord. And our understanding of sacrifice is to lose something. But as our guide at Shiloh, said to us, and I write about Waymaker, is um, korban in, in um, Hebrew means to come nearer. Hmm. It's, it's not a loss. It's actually a fulfilling. You are actually giving up what is in the way of allowing you to draw nearer to the one who is most fulfilling himself. So I think if we live a cruciform life, yes, we are surrendering and giving up something, but it's actually moving the thing out of the way, the thing that is in the way of us entering into the life we most, we are made for and we most long for a life of intimate communion with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love how you talk about that, you know, cruciformity is really surrender, it's vulnerability, but leads to that intimacy. In fact, it really is the only way to get to that. It is the uh, only kind of way to intimacy. Yes. Yeah. 
for intimacy. I mean, I think, you know, if we, if we want to impress people, that's one thing. If we want to have people admire us or uh, dominate or whatever, power, control, mm-hmm. but, but mm-hmm. real genuine intimacy, you know, has to come through that path. So let me just go. So the first, you have with, with your daughter, with, with uh, your marriage, but you start out with, here you are, this young bride on your honeymoon in the shag carpeted hotel room. Oh, yes. um, <laughs> I mean, that's it, it opens up with, with a, well, pretty, pretty intimate situation. Mm-hmm. What were you trying to communicate with that about the, the challenges of like, oh my gosh, we're married. We're now, this is new. I think, I think in all of our lives in different ways, we think once I, once this happens in my life, I will arrive at fulfillment. And whether it's single, we think, oh, when we get married, we will have arrived. When we get married, we think, oh, we are now, are we now actually becoming one in the term? We, we're made for one <laughs> to becoming one, but it's made ultimately our marriages, which we see happen all throughout the North American church, maybe the global church, we can make an idol out of marriage such that once we think, once we get married, then I will find fulfillment. Then I will, I will be complete. That marriage is ultimately a metaphor, a picture of the intimacy and communion and oneness that we can only ultimately find in Christ himself. As I write about Waymaker, I think sometimes, at least I did, I had a very um, judicial understanding of my relationship with Christ, which is, yeah. which is true and accurate and right. Um, I have a broken relationship with God because of my sins. Christ himself comes into the cosmic courtroom, pays the penalty for my sin with his blood, covers me with his righteousness, proclaims me his own, his own beloved and uh, washes away all of my sins. That judicial understanding of relationship and oneness with Christ, atonement that he pays for on the cross is right and true, but I'm not sure it's the whole picture. There is more to the story. Mm. It is more than judicial. Do we have a filial understanding of Christ, a kinship understanding of Christ? Because if we only have a judicial understanding of our relationship with Christ, when we walk out of the cosmic courtroom and Christ has paid the penalty with his with his sacrifice on the cross, then we can we go on and we live our lives up far from communion with Christ. If we have a filial understanding that the one who paid the price actually paid the price because he wants relationship with me, with us, that atonement is ultimately for attachment, that he wants kinship with us. The king has come because he is our kin, that, that it's for one meant that changes our experience. That when we walk out of that cosmic courtroom, we now have an intimate relationship with Christ that we see in scripture. The metaphor is a marriage metaphor. The metaphor is an adoption metaphor. The metaphor is a, he has now made us his child. We are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. That changes everything. Mm, Absolutely. Preach it, Anne. You are preaching. I love it. And I could tell Scott McKnight's influence because Scott talks about, you know, substitutionary atonement is true. It's absolutely right. But it's one way of describing it. And 
you know, I often say, if uh, you know, if that's all you have, you have a reduction, which leads to a distortion. Yes, and you forget that, exactly. that there's something, you know, bigger than far than that. richer, far yeah. richer, and far more fulfilling that we're ultimately made for. And mm-hmm. I, so I, it's not to it's not to dismiss or undermine a judicial understanding of our relationship with God. Is that he, he needed to make a sacrifice. He chose to make a sacrifice for our sins, but he did it for communion. Can we move to, right. to that level of intimacy? Yeah. Yes. Atonement to be a one. Great, and great. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Before we actually started recording, I, I talked about those. You, you, you do really great stuff with those three words, forward, inward, outward. Mm. We talked a little bit about the inward. Um, that that curving in on ourselves, yes. and we we want to control that. Mm. But you also talk about, um, and I think this was part of your upbringing. It certainly was mine. That you know, just achieve. I got to keep moving forward. I got to accomplish the next mm. goal. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that because that is, I think, a pressure. I'm sure many of our listeners feel like, oh, I got to, I got to go forward, do more. Yes, I think, I think so many of us. I am so guilty of this, Jim. Perfectionism is like slow death by self. You never achieve enough. And I, I had a, a paradigm that really was on, based on forward, forward, forward. Keep moving forward. Keep striving forward. Keep climbing forward. Um, and Waymaker was a complete paradigm shift for me. What happens if you're moving forward in the wrong direction? What happens if you're moving forward and the trajectory is completely off? About it, um, I quote uh, James Clear in, in Waymaker. He has he speaks of if you get on a plane in L.A. headed for Washington D.C., but the nose of that plane is only off by a few degrees, you're not going to land in Washington D.C. You're going to land in New York City. The, the, the small degrees really matter. What are you moving forward to? So ultimately, forward should not be the paradigm or the fuel for one's life. Ultimately, it's toward. Mm-hmm. What are you moving toward if relationship is the ultimate reality? If we know that um, we are made by a triune God who lives in relationship himself, that he went to the cross to usher us into this this dance of love that he experiences, Father, Son, Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we are made for that kind of relationship. Life isn't about moving forward. It's about moving toward deeper intimacy with God himself. So I catch myself. I still do it, Jim. I still say, okay, forward, ah, stop. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's about toward. Do Mm -hmm. we have um, a compass for our souls that slows us down enough? to look at a way of life that is turning us always toward intimacy with Christ, that will look upside down kingdom. That will not look so much like hustle. That will look like hush and holiness and retreating into solitude and times of just deep contemplation over his word, a time of prayer, and then moving out into the world in a posture of cruciformity, a posture of giving thanks unceasingly because that is to pray without ceasing. That's going to look very different than the world, but you're not moving forward. You are moving toward your ultimate promised land, which is the presence of Christ himself. Mm. Well, you mentioned a compass, and I I love uh, on page 340, you get toward the end of the book and you 
you have the Wayfarer's um, mm-hmm. Compass, a sacred mm-hmm. way of life, which is mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. And you t- and you have that great acronym, which is sacred. You've talked about stillness to know God, attentiveness to hear God, cruciformity, which we've talked about, to mm-hmm. surrender to God, revelation to see God. The E is examined to return to God, and the D, doxology, to thank God. So good. Mm. So you've lived into this. It's kind of a, it's a rhythm. It's a pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Talk about how that is in your own, your own journey as, as a wayfarer. Yeah, I think um, we are all pilgrims. We're all sojourners looking for a way through. Um, and by his grace, he, the way himself comes to reveal himself to us. So we're all on a pilgrimage. I think for me, um, so much of my story began with doxology, began with that Eucharistic life of giving thanks. Um, and then and then in Broken Way, I talk about, okay, the second half of the Lord's Supper is, yes, you live a life of gratitude, but now you take the bread, break it, and pass it out into the world, living a given life, a cruciform life. So cruciformity and doxology were part of um, my way of life or rule of life, my daily practices to live into the way himself. But Waymaker really was was taking cruciformity and doxology and trying to live a, a cohesive, holistic rule of life, way of life. As you pointed out, Jim, sacred, starting off with stillness every morning, not jumping out of bed with, um, C.S. Lewis talks about the most important thing we do is like, what are we thinking about the first thing in the morning Mm. and letting, letting the gospel preach truth to us about who he is. So the first thing in the morning, having, starting with stillness to know God, to hushing all of the hurry and and start, when we start from a, a posture of stillness, says, the Lord will fight for me. The Lord will deliver me. I'm not going to do this in my own strength or my own striving. I'm going to to live into a practice of, of trust. So starting with stillness every morning. And for me, that looks like sitting down at my, um, my, old, my old desk, which is actually a blacksmith's desk from the late 1800s. So it's all mm cut up and burned and (laughs) it's pretty rough but it seems like a good metaphor for my life so i sit at my blacksmith's desk first thing and i have stillness before the lord um the a of sacred a sacred way of life is attentive attentiveness to god so often jim i i've come to the lord with all kinds of questions why why did this happen why why this obstacle why these barriers why these challenges and I want the Lord to attend to my questions. But we see in Scripture, God has questions for us. And am I being attentive to God's questions to us? Christ, Jesus asks 350 questions in Scriptures. Do I slow down? Am I still long enough to answer some of those questions? For me, every morning, that means journaling out the answers to three questions. First, Mark eight twenty nine: who do I say that God is today. That's going to, there's mm-hmm. your soul compass right there. That's going to orient um, your trajectory for the rest of the day. For me, that's, you're the king of the universe. You're my Abba father. If if my father is the king of the universe, what, what should intimidate me? What should upend me? What should make me fear? So act, driving that stake into the ground first thing every day, who do I say that God is today? And then the question he asks, Hagar, am I attentive to that question? Genesis 16, 18. Where am I coming from? 
Where am I going to? He asked of, of Hagar. Do I, can I slow myself down long enough? So what is happening in my life? Where is my soul coming from? And where, where is my soul headed towards? If we really believe that location, location, location is everything economically, have I slowed down enough to know where my soul, the location of my soul is? Because that is everything theologically. And then, oh, this actually blows my mind, Jim. Jesus actually asks his followers in John 138, what do you want? And I slow down every day and write it out. What do what do I want today? And I think it's Calvin who says our heart is so often a, an idle factory. When I start to write down what I want today, I start to see, what do I want? Are my wants aligned with God's will? Or are my wants idols that need to be slain and toppled? Mm. And you think, well, you know, I don't have enough time to, to sit down and, and write out these kind of things every day, Anne. Well, if we want a way through, we need to slow down enough to locate where our soul is, to see how far our soul is distance-wise in relationship to Christ himself. We say we want a relationship with him. Where is our soul in relation to him? So slowing myself down to, to attentively hear God and answer his questions to me. And then I sit with that word cruciformity every day. Jim, what do I need to do or surrender to live cruciform today? And for me, oftentimes that's it's writing down something that I, I need to say, Lord, into your hands, I commit this issue, this, this person, this prayer request into your hands today. I want to commit it. It also means, what do I need to do or surrender to live cruciform today? It means, how am I going to reach out towards God and people today? Who is one person that I can connect with today? How am I going to make sure I structure my day so that I, I stop for prayer in the middle of the day so that I'm reaching out to God today? So I want to be really intentional about if I'm going to write out a to-do list at the beginning of the day, wait, stop. Do I have a sacred way of life to make sure I'm living cruciform today? That R of sacred revelation to see God. If we want, we want God to reveal a way through to us, have I slowed down enough to open up his scripture and see how is he revealing himself to me today. I truly believe that our God is the word. He is not a silent God. He speaks to us and he speaks to us through his word. So open up a book of scripture and read through it chronologically. You don't have to read fast. You can read slow. You can read just a couple of verses a day. Let the Lord speak to you and reveal more of his heart to you. Write that For me, that's writing it, that verse down in the scripture or in my journal every day. This is the way God has revealed himself. Actually, I usually write it out twice, Jim. I usually write it in my journal. I write it on a sticky note to carry it with me on my in my day planner so that wait, this is how the Lord revealed the way himself revealed himself to me today. So this is my way today. Um the E of examine sacred. Um that E of sacred we need to examine our hearts. What am I afraid of today? And oh Jim, fear drives so many of our responses and our defaults. Why I have almost right. 360 sometimes in scripture. It's do not fear, do not fear, mm. do not fear, because he knows that fears drive us forward in wrong trajectories. So can I slow down and say, Oh, this is this is what I'm afraid of. Lord, I'm gonna lay it at the foot of the cross. And then I always finish my my time of encountering the Lord first thing in the morning with doxology. What can I thank the Lord for today? There is always, always, always something to give thanks for. And ultimately, joy is a function of gratitude. 
Gratitude is a function of perspective. How can I change my perspective mm-hmm. to see what I can be grateful for? And that once I can change my perspective to see what I can be grateful for, that means joy is always, always, always possible right here mm. and right now. Mm. It really is good. And I am excited to, to I'm going to start practicing it, Anne. So when I yes. see you in September, that's yes. an old song, see you in September, <laughs> I, I will tell you how it's going because I love it. It's, it's a really good, it's a good pattern. It's a good rhythm. It's a good method. Um, you know, I think of, yeah, I'm a Methodist actually. And sometimes what does a Methodist mean? I said, well, you have to have a method. Everybody has to have a method. And Dallas, it's true. Often say, yeah, I, I, one of my favorite Dallas quotes, he said, grace thrives on method. I mean, God's grace, God, God's action thrives when we offer, uh, the, and, and the, your sacred pattern here, it contains every single one of them are Mm. spot on. I mean, to be still, to be attentive, to cruciform, you think through that revelation, how's God speaking, the examine, and especially, I love that. What are you afraid of? Cause I, I've been using that question a lot for me. It's like, wait, what do I want to let go of? What am I afraid of today? Where, and all those sorts of things, but you've, you've really come up with a great one. And, you know, isn't it nice when our acronyms, you know, they form a great word. Come on, let's be honest. That's true. I want a sacred way of life that sets sets me apart for intimacy with him. Right. That is ultimately what I want. And I think, and sometimes I think people sit down and they go, okay, I can't, I can't do stillness and tentative as cruciform, a revelation, examine doxology every day. Okay. Today, those are, it's six letters. Can you make it six days of the week? I'll sit down one morning and it's stillness. And the next morning it's attentiveness. And the next morning cruciformity. The next morning revelation. Next morning examine. Next morning doxology. But do you have some kind Mm. of rhythm? And I think, Jim, in some of the most painful, difficult times in my life, where I felt like the waves were coming so hard against me and there was absolutely no way through, no Red Sea Road, Having having a rhythm and a way of life, those habits actually um, begin to form in, in interior walls to say, okay, I don't, these waves are not going to overtake me because look, I have these practices of stillness and this practice of attentiveness. So I think we can think, oh, I don't have time for this, but ultimately, if you take time to have a method, a way, a rule of life, it actually begins to build the breakers so that you can find your way through into the way himself who will carry you across the the Red Sea that seems so impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or to flip it to Jesus, you know, his final metaphor in the Sermon on the Mount. You're building your life on a rock. And when the storm, yeah. the, the rains come, yes. you, you have that built in. If you've been practicing the rhythm you just talked about over time, you, you approach those those challenges so much differently. We need to go ahead and build like we have we talk about having a memory muscle we we need in in crisis in difficult challenges do we have a muscle a gratitude muscle a doxology muscle do we have a a muscle of stillness like we need to be building these these practices yeah so when the tsunami hits like you're right i'm on the rock i i have a default that happens regardless of how high the waves are Mm Hmm. yep and the foundation will hold that's so well, we didn't get to talk about um, your daughter's surgery, and, and and we didn't get to finish through the the stuff with your with your marriage, and you had some heart issues, some things. I mean, you talk about a lot, but you know what this means, Anne? It means that people have to buy the book. They have to go well, down buy the book. Go. I, there you I go. I mean, yes, I talk about breaking my husband's heart, 
I talk about my heart's, my daughter's heart surgery, and then my ultimate heart failure, which was my, oh, come to Jesus moment where your life flashes before you and go, okay, I need to change trajectory here. So, mm. yes, and to so hold on good. to the soul compass, soul compass to go ahead and say, no, I want a life that is set apart for Christ alone. Amen. Well, again, the book is Waymaker, Finding the Life You've Always Dreamed of. Ann Voskamp is the author. And what a wonderful conversation, Ann. Thank you for your time. Thanks for being on the Things About podcast. And can't wait to meet you face-to-face in September at our sold-out apprentice gathering. And it's going to be just a sacred time. It's so... To gather as apprentices, to say, I want a practice of life. (laughs) So that I'm apprenticing to the way himself, who will be my mm-hmm. way toward the promised land for all of eternity. I'm so grateful just to be a part of your community, Jim. Thank you for your, not only your warm hospitality, but for the way you live out genuine mm. Christ-like cruciformity, my friend. Thank you so much, Anne. Blessings mm. to you, and I will see you soon. Thank you, and God be with you, my friend. It's so good to be with you on the way himself. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this Things Above conversation with Ann Voskamp. Wow, she has so much to say, and the book is so rich, has so much in it. I know you'll enjoy it. So go out and get Waymaker by Ann Voskamp. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend, and you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.